Well, today we uh, come uh, to the conclusion uh, of our sermon series on the life-giving power of God's Word. As I finish the sermon that I began last Sunday, uh, obedience to God's Word, the choice to see God's glory. So I hope you picked up a a copy of the uh, sermon notes or you brought your notes back from uh, last week since we'll be finishing this message up and uh, follow there as we uh, begin by reviewing uh, our biblical definition of obedience. Uh, First, obedience is doing exactly what I'm told to do. Obedience is doing exactly what I'm told to do. James chapter 1, verse 22 and verse 25. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it for doing it. Notice, God promises His blessing not to doing, knowing God's Word, but to doing God's Word. I think of Christ's uh, statement in John 13, verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Look at the next component in biblical obedience. Obedience is doing exactly what I'm told to do when I'm told to do it. So, obedience is doing exactly what I'm told to do when I'm told to do it. Psalm 119, verse 60, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. That should be the attitude of every follower of Jesus Christ. And if God promises that obedience to His Word is the pathway to His blessing, Why would we ever hesitate in our obedience? Well, last week we saw that often our delay is due to questioning uh, God's authority or questioning God's wisdom as if we knew how to do it better or God's love. Let me share one other reason that I did not mention last Sunday that often trips up even the most committed followers of Christ, and I'll be the first to admit this has been an area that has tripped me up in the past. And here it is. Even though God insists that the Christian not delay in their obedience, He, God, often delays in giving the blessing. And when the blessing does come, it often comes in a way that We just didn't expect. In other words, we don't always receive the outcome we would have desired. And let's be honest, this happened to me. We can become what? Disappointed with God. And if we're not careful, that disappointment can evolve to where we become angry and frustrated with God. And then not only angry and frustrated God, but apathy can set in. We say, what's the point of obeying His commands? Well, why does God often delay the blessing? Let me just very quickly 
suggest three reasons. If God always blessed obedience immediately, there would be no opportunity for character development. Think about that. What, what is probably the greatest sign of immaturity? The need for what? Instant gratification. You know, you don't take a 15-month-old and sit them down on the couch and say, Honey, will you just sit here real quiet and behave yourself? Well, I take about an hour to complete this task, then I'll be back to what you need and what you want. No, a child that small doesn't have the maturity. They want instant gratification. They want it right now. And one of the signs of an individual maturing is that they, what? they can delay gratification. And so God's primary goal in our lives is to bring about maturity, to bring about character development. And so that's one of the reasons he will often delay the blessing. Another reason is this. If, if God blessed obedience immediately, there would be no opportunity to discover that the giver is greater than his gifts. In other words, God wants more than just a conditioned response from us. You know, we're just every, you know if we were to instantly, you know, we obey and then we instantly get the reward, we would, just, we would become like Pavlov's dog, you know, you ring the bell, and here we come. Well, God doesn't want us to focus on His gifts. He wants us to focus on what? On Him and develop intimacy with Him. And so often he, he delays. He allows there to be a waiting period so that we can be drawn into that intimacy and get to know Him better. And then third, if God always blessed obedience immediately, there would be no opportunity to learn a persevering love, to know how to hang in there, to know a love that suffers all things, and even as it suffers, continues to be kind. And on the issue of God's blessing in response to our obedience being something that we did not expect, what does that demonstrate? Now, this is not difficult. It's sort of times it's hard to swallow. It just means that God's value system is often very different than ours. That's what it means. In other words, God values the blessing, as we've seen, of acquiring godly character being more important than altering circumstances. God sees the value of developing an enduring faith, hope, and love more important than immediately escaping the adversity. God values the blessing of intimacy with Jesus Christ more than human companionship. So God will bless obedience, but it just simply won't always come the way we expect it, and that's where we trust God that He knows what is best. So obedience is not only doing what I'm told to do, when I'm told to do it. Notice the next component, with the right heart attitude. With the right heart attitude. Psalm 119, verse 69. I obey your commandments with all my heart. Psalm 119, verses 47 and 48. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. God desires obedience to be motivated, as we noted earlier, to be, it needs to be more than just out of a sense of duty and obligation. The highest form of obedience, the kind of obedience that God seeks is when we want to obey Him. When we want to obey Him because we see our obedience 
as an opportunity to express our heartfelt love and reverence for Him. So obedience is doing exactly what I'm told, when I'm told to do it, with the right heart attitude. And here's the last component, which ushers me into God's glory. That's God's promise, that obedience will always usher me into His glory. Look at John 14, verse 21. Jesus said, those who accept my commandments, in other words, those who welcome them happily into their lives and obey them, they are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and notice this last phrase, and reveal myself to each of them. And we, and we raised the question last week that you see in your, there in your notes, what is God's glory? God's glory, it is God Himself. That's the answer. God's glory is God Himself. It's God manifesting, revealing Himself to you. So obedience ushers us into a unique experience with God. We experience God's provision there, as you see in your notes, to strengthen. God's uh, or power to strengthen, His provision to meet my need, His love to assure me, His wisdom to guide me, peace to calm me, holiness to convict me, forgiveness to liberate me, and His righteousness to purify me. If you want to experience God's glory, if you want to know the reality of a personal relationship, if you want to know intimacy with Jesus Christ, obedience is the pathway that takes you there. And there is no other pathway. There is no other shortcut. It's only through the pathway of obedience, doing exactly what I'm told, when I'm told to do it, with the right heart attitude, which ushers me into God's glory. Now, we concluded last Sunday by turning our attention to a family, uh, three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who teach us how obedience ushers us into God's glory. Uh, now, last week we rehearsed the story. I'll be very, very brief here. You remember John 11? Uh, Lazarus gets sick. And when Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha, they send servants. Jesus was not far away. And, the, and John 11 starts out by saying, the one who Jesus loved became sick. So they're thinking, hey, we've seen Jesus heal hundreds of strangers. This is Lazarus, one of the closest to him. Jesus loves him. And Jesus is going to come running as soon as he hears the word. And you know the story. The messengers get there. They tell Jesus, and he just sat on his hands. He did squat. He did nothing. And then after Lazarus has died and been in the grave for several days, here he comes waltzing into Bethany, their hometown. And you remember the response of both Mary and Martha. They were very upset. They were disappointed. They were frustrated. He had not acted the way they had expected him to. And they said, if you had only been here, our brother would be alive today. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even though a person dies, if he believes in me, yet he shall live. Do you believe this? And then he says, take me to his grave. And then you remember, he gets to the grave and he gave a command. What? Remove the stone. Roll it away. And then all of a sudden, here come the protest. What? He's been dead four days. He's in decomposition. Now, from this story, there are three wonderful truths, wonderful truths we can apply to our lives today. 
And, and again, last Sunday, we concluded by looking at this first truth. Look at it again with me. When God wants to display His glory, He calls for a step of obedience. But don't miss that. Don't miss the simplicity of that. When God wants to display His glory, He always asks for a step of obedience from His child or from His people. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, He gave Mary and Martha a command. And if obeyed, it would usher them into God's glory because you know the rest of the story, how He raised Lazarus. John eleven thirty nine. 39, you see there in your notes, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. Now, we made several observations about the command that Jesus gave them. Uh, first, the call of obedience was what? Abundantly clear. It was abundantly clear. There was no question about what He was asking them to do. There was no question that they were the ones responsible to do it. And God is always clear with His children, and that's why He's written His commands down for us in black and white in the Bible. So if there's a lack of clarity, the problem is not God's inability to communicate. The problem is our unwillingness to obey. Not only was the call of obedience abundantly clear, it was seemingly ridiculous. You have to admit, this was a strange command. You don't go around, or normal people don't go around, opening graves. And, it, and as we mentioned last Sunday, his command had to have raised some questions. I mean, is he really serious? I mean, if he was going to help Lazarus, why didn't he do it before he died? I mean, it didn't make any sense. But we saw that God has what? He has a habit and I use that word purposely. He has a habit of commanding His people to do things that seem ridiculous. And we looked at several examples. You remember Joshua at Jericho? Pretty ridiculous to tell this great soldier, this military commander, instead of taking up arms and going to battle against Jericho, to walk around the city, toot their little horns, and shout. That would seem ridiculous to this soldier. It, would, it, was, it seemed ridiculous to Gideon who's going up against a much superior force. And he was able to muster a meager 32,000 men. God said, that's too many. And he dwindled Gideon's army down to 300. Didn't make any sense. It seemed ridiculous. It didn't make any sense, as we saw last week, for God to tell that widow who literally was starving to death. They had just a little bit of flour left, a little bit of oil. She was going to make one last cake for her and her son, and then she was going to die. And then through the prophet Elijah, God says, no, you take that and you give that to Elijah. Now, that prophet had to have sounded very selfish and self-centered. It didn't make any sense. But you know what happened. When she did that, God did a miracle and supplied her through the entire days of the famine. It didn't make any sense for Peter. When Jesus said, after he had fished all night, go into the deep waters. This was a professional fisherman. As I mentioned last, you don't catch fish in the deep waters. You catch them in the shallow waters. And he said, you go out into the deep, throw your nets. Didn't make any sense. So God has a habit. Now, why would God ask us to do something that seems ridiculous or unreasonable? Now, I hope you didn't miss this last Sunday. It's, it's one of the key components in this message because it's all about learning to trust God. 
It's all about learning to trust God. God's glory is best seen against the backdrop of impossibilities that only He can resolve. And because that is true, I can guarantee if you are a follower of Christ, you are going to be continually faced with opportunities to obey God that are brilliantly disguised by Him as impossibilities so that He gets the glory. Is God asking you to do something right now that seems ridiculous? Obey Him because He only wants to show you His glory. And we saw not only was that Command abundantly clear, seemingly ridiculous. It was also what? And this is where we ended last Sunday. Emotionally difficult. Think of the, the reality of the moment. Two sisters grieving over their brother's death, and Christ asked them to open the grave. Christ asked them to do something that went deeply against the grain of their emotions. And so we raised the question, is God asking you to do something that's emotionally difficult? Maybe God is asking you to forgive someone who deeply hurt and wounded you. Maybe God is asking you to love, to invest in a person that's very difficult to love. Maybe God is asking you to hang in there and endure in a relationship where your, your emotions are telling you to run, flee, get out, escape. Possibly God is telling you, I want you to share Christ with this family member or this co-worker or neighbor. Maybe God is calling you to get involved in a ministry or stepping out beginning to tithe or, or give a special gift to some area or some ministry. It, it could be a million different things. So the first truth we take from this story is that when God wants to display His glory, He's always going to ask for a step of obedience. And that step of obedience will be abundantly clear, but often seemingly ridiculous and emotionally difficult. Look at the second truth, and from here on, it's new material. Whether or not you obey Him is dependent on whether or not you believe Him. Not difficult. Whether or not you obey Him is dependent on whether or not you believe Him. Obedience is always dependent on trust. Martha's problem, let's be honest, our problem, the reason she hesitated in her obedience, the reason we hesitate in our obedience is that we struggle with trusting Christ. Look at Martha's initial response found in John 11, verse 39, the latter part of verse 39. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. In other words, he stinks. Isn't it true that our, our objections are often rooted in the practical? I mean, it was logical. It was sane. It was even admirable for Martha and Mary to object on these grounds. The body had been in the grave for four days. By all sensible rights, it was completely illogical to request a tomb opening. But listen, beloved, God often requires a faith that cannot be figured out in advance. You can't always be logical and faithful to God. Again, it wasn't logical for what God was asking Joshua to do. But those walls came tumbling down when he what? Obeyed. His obedience was a trigger that released the glory and power of God. It made no sense for Midian 
to reduce his army down to 300 meager men going against tens of thousands of other soldiers. But as they obeyed God, God, it was a trigger, released God's glory, his power into that situation. What that widow was asked to do, it didn't make sense. It was not logical. It was not practical. It was stupid, it seemed. But as she obeyed God, it was that trigger that took her right into the glory of God, released his power, met her need. It didn't make any practical, logical sense what Jesus asked Peter to do. But Peter said what? Nevertheless, at thy word, what? I'll obey. And that obedience was that trigger that ushered him right into the glory of God to see that miraculous display of God's power. And it will be true in our lives as well. See, God at times requires a response that defies practicalities. But like Martha, we say to God, Lord, what you are asking me to do, it stinks. Let's be honest. You ever been there? God, what you're asking me to do, it stinks. It's not right. It's not acceptable to me. But look at Christ's response to Martha in verse 40. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Christ simply reminded Martha the key is trust. Are you having a hard time obeying God? Do you believe what he's asking you to do right now stinks? Well, the real question is, are you willing to trust him? And my encouragement to you is don't miss the opportunity to see God's glory. Now, hear me very closely. See, the issue here is we can miss the opportunity. Take your Bibles just quickly. Turn to Hebrews 3. Let me show you something. Let me remind you of what this is referring to. Toward the end of the chapter, the, the writer of Hebrews takes us back to the book of Numbers. And you remember God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he did many miraculous signs and powers, especially at the Red Sea. When he parted the waters, they walked through, and then he destroyed Pharaoh and his, and his armies. And if you're, if you're familiar with the story, God's intention was to take them where? Into the promised land, into Canaan. And they came right to the edge of the promised land. They came to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And from Kadesh Barnea, Moses sent out spies to spy out the land. They came back to give their report. And you remember the story. Joshua and Caleb... They said, man, this land is everything God said it was. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And yes, there are obstacles. And yes, there, there, there are uh, battles that are going to have to be fought. But God is able. All the other spies said, no, no, no. This is stupid. This is not practical. It's not logical. I mean, these, these are mighty warriors that are li- inhabiting those cities. And they're they're great, they're huge men, they're mighty, they're powerful. I mean, there's no way under the sun. We're like, they literally said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, and they're just going to stomp us out. And you remember, as a result of their bad report, the children of Israel became paralyzed in fear, became paralyzed in worry. 
So here's Moses. They're saying, we need to go. God has given us a command. Go. Take the land. But they said, no. Makes no sense. We're unwilling to lose our lives. They got eaten up with fear, anxiety, and worry. And then, you remember what happened. It was as a result of that act of disobedience. That God said, okay, this generation, you're never going to go into the land. And it was that generation that for the next 40 years, they just wandered in the wilderness. And they continued to see God's love. They continued to see God's provision and protection in many ways. But they missed the opportunity to see God's glory. They missed the opportunity to know God's best for their lives. And look at Hebrews 3. That's sort of a commentary on this. Look at verse 15. Let's begin there. While it is said, today, if you hear His voice, Hebrews 3, 15, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were, circle that next word, disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of, what's the next word? Not disobedience, unbelief. In other words, what the writer is saying is what was behind their disobedience was unbelief. They weren't willing to trust God. And because they weren't willing to trust God, they were unwilling to take that step. Believing that God would demonstrate His glory and give them what's needed. Look at the next verse in your sermon notes. Hebrews eleven six 6 says it all. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So when God wants to display his glory, he calls for a step of obedience. Second, whether or not you obey him is dependent on whether or not you believe him or trust him. And look at the third, the final truth. If you trust and obey, you will see God's glory, period. Or you might want to put exclamation mark there. If you trust and obey, you will see God's glory. What happened when Mary and Martha chose to trust Christ and obey His clear command? God moved into the realm of their lives in a very unique way, demonstrated His glory that brought good to all who were present. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Many heard the gospel. Many came to know Christ. God's glory was put on display before a watching world. What happened when Noah obeyed God, despite the fact what God was asking him to do seemed totally illogical and impractical. We saw the glory of God's salvation in the ark. What happened when Moses obeyed God? We saw God's, the glory of God's power there at the Red Sea. What, what happened when Joshua obeyed God there at Jericho? We saw the glory of God's deliverance. What did we see in Paul's life when he obeyed God? We saw the glory of God in ministry. We saw God's strength perfected in a man's weakness, in his frailties. 
And there's no other explanation than God was in him and doing a supernatural work through him. How about when those around you obeyed God? What did you see? You saw God's glory. You saw something of God's glory. You know, I've said this before, but I'll say it a million times. In thanks to God, in appreciation to my mother, my sister Sue, my brother Mark, and myself, we saw the glory of God in my mother's life in her darkest hours. When she was in the greatest pain, when she had been betrayed, when she had been wounded. And we saw a woman, despite struggling, in spite of what God was asking to do, it was seemingly ridiculous, it was emotionally difficult, she obeyed. We saw the glory of God. And the reason I'm behind this pulpit today is because I saw the glory of God in my mother's life. The reason my brother's sitting over there today, delivered from drugs and rebellion, is because he saw the glory of God in my mother's life. The reason my sister is active and involved and faithful is because she saw the glory of God in my mother's life. Look at Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Look at Psalm 50, verse 23. If you keep my path, I will reveal to you. Notice, if you keep my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. That's another way of saying he'll usher you into his glory. Psalm 19, verse 11. A great reward is for those who obey him. We've already mentioned John 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know, the old uh, hymn, and I'll close with this. The old hymn, Trust and Obey, says it all. Says it all. What's it say? When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. As we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we've been challenged from your word today, Lord. And Lord, we acknowledge that uh, sort of a sad thing when a, a believer can look back and never really have a moment where they ever really struck out in a step of obedience when it just seemed illogical, when it seemed difficult. And, of course, that's the very reason when, why we don't see your glory as you desire us to see your glory. Uh, think of the old missionary that said, expect great things from God, then attempt great things for God. So, Lord, I, I pray that you'll be that power at work in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Father, we admit that we're totally dependent upon your power moving in and through us. Um, so, Lord, forgive us when we hesitate. Forgive us when we delay. 
Help us to see the truth of your word. May it encourage us to take those steps of obedience, to put our trust in you, knowing that as we do, we will see your glory. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.